Welcome to Kogod in the Know, a podcast brought to you by the Kogod School of Business at American University. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. This is episode five in our new podcast series, giving you a behind the scenes look into life at Kogod. This season is all about sustainability, what it is, why it's important, how it fits into our everyday lives and careers, and ultimately, how to get a job that makes a difference in the world. We're going to be speaking to people with some fascinating jobs in the sustainability space, and we'll find out how they got into sustainability, what drove them to want to make a difference, and what the job is really like. So stay with us for some great conversations ahead. And without further ado, let's get into our pod today. My name is Samantha Kenny, and I am a senior program officer at World Wildlife Fund, uh, based out of their headquarters in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome to the podcast, Sam. Great to have you here. So what are your responsibilities as a senior program officer? So I am a senior program officer on our food loss and waste team. I've been on the team for about five and a half years. I started as an intern while I was still completing my um, MSSM degree. And I started with the food waste team, and I'm basically serving the same projects now They brought me on to address food waste in hotels and food service businesses. And I started by, you know, pulling on gloves and weighing food waste in the back of hotels in D.C. in person. And five years later, we're scaling our program for the global hospitality sector and finding ways that that touches the food system more broadly. That's amazing. I want to come clean. Before preparing for this conversation today, I was not acutely aware that there was an entire division of World Wildlife Fund dedicated to minimizing food waste. Obviously, I'm thrilled to learn that intelligent people like you are on the case, but my introduction to food waste management probably started and ended like most others listening here, and that was from my parents at the dinner table growing up. You know, the clean plate philosophy. I'm curious, is this how you got started down your career path? Or how did you get interested in this topic? Sure. So I have always been interested in environmental studies since I was a little kid. I was like a marine biology kid, and that's actually what I was looking to go into when I went to college. So I actually applied into American University undergraduate, and I started a program there in the College of Arts and Sciences, a Bachelor of Arts in Environmental Studies. So I spent my four years doing my bachelor's at AU. And then I transitioned into the MSSM program, the Masters of Science in Sustainability Management at COGOD as a five-year program. So I tagged on that extra year to my bachelor's and I walked away with a BA and an MS at the same time from American University. So I'd always been interested in working in environmentalism. I was always really interested in working on large impact problems at a global scale. It's just the way my mind has always enjoyed working. But when you're actually learning about sustainability and learning about environmentalism, you're exposed to all of the different natural systems in the world and how they intersect with human systems. So we learned about energy and water and biodiversity and agriculture and all of these systems. And we were really tasked with, once we had our degrees, to go out and find our place within those systems and really niche in. So when I was an undergrad at AU and during my MSSM program, I worked with the um, American University Office of Sustainability. I was in their um, student environmental educators program. At the time, it was called the Green Eagles. 
And we worked on projects like energy saving and water saving projects. And we also did waste audits for the school. So we were helping AU maintain its composting contract. And an important aspect to maintaining a composting contract is keeping contamination rates in your bins really low. So keeping garbage like plastics out of your composting bin so it's not mixed in when they're processing the waste. So I was doing quite a lot of waste management work at that time. And I turned out to be a star waste auditor. And a waste audit, for anyone who doesn't know, is when you dump the entire bin out onto a tarp and you put on gloves and you move it all around into different piles and you quantify the waste and you also understand what types of waste comprise that bin. And I am really good at that because I was born without a sense of smell. So I'm a congenital anosmic. It runs in my family. It's a genetic mutation. So I've never smelled garbage. I've never smelled anything for that matter. And it makes me really good at going through trash. And it actually makes me like the antithesis of a chef. So I work with a lot of chefs in my day to day, and they are fantastic at preparing delicious food that people want to eat, but they're not always that great at looking in their trash bin. They tend to have a really sensitive nose. But me, I'm not that trustworthy when I'm preparing food. I can't smell when milk has gone off or anything like that. Um, But I'm really good at looking in the garbage and finding creative ways to reduce that. So that's how I ended up in waste systems. And that's how I niched down into specifically working on on waste and food waste in in my career. I'm amazed. This is like the origin story of a superhero. I mean, quite literally, you have a superpower. And you use that superpower to try to make our planet more food efficient. I love it. So Sam, could you break down all the places where food waste occurs? So food waste is hiding everywhere. I'm sure all of us, you know, have a really personal relationship with food and food waste. And, you know, through our day to days and every day of our lives, we've had to feed ourselves. And we've had this moment of, am I still hungry? Have I eaten too much? And very often ending up throwing our own um, food in the bin. So it seems like these little things might just add up in a, in a household context, but And in fact, uh, food loss and waste across the food system really does add up. Turns out that we are losing or wasting um, up to 40% of all of the food that we grow, which means that we're growing food to feed people. And then instead, it's, it's just going straight into the trash. And we are seeing drivers of food waste all along the supply chain from aesthetic standards where food that's too big or too small isn't even leaving the farm um, all the way through supply chain. If you can imagine, you know, a cold chain breaking down and certain uh, temperature controlled items losing quality that way. Or you can just picture your local grocery store, um, an item going unselected on a shelf. Or at a restaurant, you order a huge portion and you can't finish it. Uh, All of these things can lead to food waste. And normally it's just a little at a time, but you'd be surprised by how much it can really add up to. I believe that. My background is in finance. So this is exactly like the practice of compound interest. What might seem like a small, unremarkable gains at the moment over time builds wealth. Although here, of course, that wealth that's being created is unwanted byproduct. Can you take us through how you identify where food waste is taking place, specifically in an organization? Sure. So when I joined on the team, WWF US had just brought on our director of food loss and waste. And his first task was really combing the literature and figuring out where we can lean in. Uh, And not only where the system needs the most attention, but also where World Wildlife Fund was the best positioned to help address this problem. So we actually started by looking at a 2016 publication by Refed, which is another great nonprofit working on food waste in the United States. 
And ReFed really looked at the entire U.S. food system to determine where the hotspots were and which areas of the food system were driving the most waste. And they identified lots of hotspots, especially in production stages, early stages. I think that was about 20% in their original estimations. And then they attributed about 40% of food waste each to consumer-facing businesses and households. So WWF was better positioned to work with producers like farmers and fishers, as well as consumer-facing businesses like hotels and grocery stores. And then we left some of the household engagement or the public engagement to some really well-positioned nonprofits and groups like NRDC and others doing that type of work in the U.S. Then we ended up scaling that work globally. And really, our different teams that are operating around the world have to lean into different aspects of their food system, depending on what's most impactful for their communities. Okay, so once you target these hotspots, what steps do you take in order to combat the food waste? Absolutely. The first thing we're always mentioning when we're working with a new property is measurement. So really, whenever you're thinking about food waste or waste in general, the most important thing you can do is measure the waste that's being produced. If you don't have a a data baseline you're feeling confident in, there's really no way to justify investment of time or resources in addressing that problem because you really have no insight into its scope or its drivers or things like that. So set aside a bin, start throwing your waste into a dedicated area. That way you can really see what's wasted, how much, and you can really start to find the ways to start cutting back. Once you've started separating and measuring, it makes it a bit easier to begin recruiting your peers, recruiting your coworkers to join you in thinking about food, thinking about the value of food and wasting food in your operations, opportunities to curb that down. And that's really the second biggest tip is make this something real for your property. These ideas can sound a bit clinical when we're talking about, uh, you know, data tracking and waste segregation and food systems. But really, these are people's lives and people's jobs and the meals that we eat every day. So only by finding those inroads into shifting culture at a hotel property, advocating for the creativity and ownership of this program by uh, culinary staff, stewarding staff, really those that are on the front line of preparing food and serving it to guests, that can really make a hotel program uh, what it needs to be. Because it's not just about high-level guidance, about how to tweak your buffets to reduce waste over here, or how to prep uh, a strawberry so you're, you're losing less per strawberry every time you prep it. But it's really about finding those community partners you need to set up food donation programs, to start composting, and really to get the creative juices of your team flowing so they can find all of the solutions that are right fit for your special operations uh, that only exist in your community, in your food system, and in the, the areas where you work. Wow, it really is a team effort. Everyone needs to be on board. I want to zoom in on the concept of measuring food. Is that something you recommend to people who would like to limit their food waste at their own home? Sure. I think that's a great question. And I think it would be awesome if folks were measuring their food waste. And I know that there's some new STEM projects, science projects, where kids are being engaged to measure some food waste at home and really see what the drivers of waste are. But but definitely, no, you don't have to get that technical at home, though it is really helpful when you can see your food waste separate from other waste that you're producing. Because often people think they're throwing away a lot more plastic and paper and other disposables than they might be throwing away food. But when all of the waste is mixed in, 
Waste like food sinks to the bottom. It's full of water. It's very heavy. It's also the things that make garbage smelly. And it's what is the reason that you have to take your garbage out every day instead of just leaving it in your house. So when you're actually able to separate food from other types of trash, you can actually see what's going in that bin. Is it because you left your tomato in your fridge for an extra two weeks? Is it because your kids hate Brussels sprouts? Is it because the temperature of your fridge is too low? Once you're actually seeing this separate from the other types of garbage, then you can actually start understanding why is this even ending up in the trash. And it's also then ready and clean for you to work with a local composter. If you're living in a city, in many cases, there will be a local composting option where you can drop off food waste or have it picked up so it can serve community gardens or other inputs. I know DC has a lot of opportunities like that. And then beyond that, just get creative with what's in your fridge. Um, Feel the flexibility to break out of common recipes. Try different things and also try buying your food a little bit differently. Try to curb down um, impulse purchases. And also if you can buy frozen food or canned food shelf stable, often those items are just as high quality as their fresh alternatives. In many cases, their fresh alternatives might have started their life frozen or processed in some way anyway. So we can find ways to even have better nutrition, less waste, um, and all of these things that might serve our kitchens um, and our wallets better because it turns out that every family in the U.S. wastes thousands of dollars a year on food that they'd really intended to eat when they purchased it. So there's lots of little things you can do. If you raise your awareness, you'll start seeing lots of opportunities. Well, I love that. If you can't get people to make a change for ethical or moral reasons, everybody wants to cut down on costs. Hearing you talk about this, it really is a no-brainer to start incorporating food waste tactics into your everyday life. And like so many things, it always starts with awareness. So you have given us a great bird's-eye view of your industry and your position within it. But I would now like to get into the nitty-gritty. What does your day-to-day look like? So as I mentioned, when I started on the team, my role was really collecting uh, primary data from hotel kitchens. So I was specifically interested in understanding how much food was a hotel wasting on the day-to-day and what were the drivers of that waste. So I was actually spending a lot of time um, having one-to-one communications with hotel properties, spending time with their culinary and stewarding teams on-site, back-of-house, measuring waste, and then doing lots of research and interviews about what chefs and managers were seeing happening in their operations. So that's how I spent a lot of my early years. All of that ended up influencing uh, the development of Hotel Kitchen, which is our comprehensive platform of guidance for hotels to address food waste within their operations. So then I spent a lot of time uh, writing and launching that platform. And today I spend my time moderating that platform, maintaining the Hotel Kitchen set of guidance and resources. I also support one-to-one corporate partnerships uh, with hotel and food service companies around the world. And we really drive pre-competitive engagement, really how we can push the entire hospitality sector, the entire food service sector towards improved operations and really achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goal, which all of this works stacks up to, which is target 12.3, to have uh, food waste and reduce post-harvest losses by 20. 30. So that's a big way I spend most of my days. But also in the last couple of years, my role has expanded also to include serving as the lead coordinator of our 
global team working on food loss and waste across systems. So I spend time really coordinating schedules, sharing learnings with a a large cohort of food loss and waste and food experts around the world that work within the World Wildlife Fund network. Sounds very rewarding. So it seems like World Wildlife Fund is a leader in the sector of food waste management. How'd you end up working there? Yeah, so I was completing my MSSM program and I had been interning and then consulting for the DC Department of General Services, which is a district government agency. And I was doing waste audits actually for uh, DC government. So I was doing waste audits for their DC summer meals program, which is a a feeding program serving low-income youth in DC. During the school year, free meals are distributed through public schools. And during the summer, those meals are distributed through recreation centers and other DC sites. So I was conducting waste audits for that program to understand inefficiencies and drivers of impact for that program. And then I also helped them set up a bit of a beekeeping program for DC government as a little side quest of mine. But as that contract ran out, I actually went back to serving. So I was serving tables at Barcelona Wine Bar in uh, Tenley Town, right near American University. And uh, it was interesting on my first day, I actually, so Barcelona is a tapas bar and they prepare many cold tapas at the beginning of service that they dish from for all of service. And uh, right at the beginning of my very first service, I broke the tiniest shot glass into all of these tapas. And I must have wasted, you know, 20 pounds of food like in this exact, like in this one moment. So I was very experienced at, uh, I was very knowledgeable of what a small mistake or an unexperienced, inexperienced staff member can do in a food service operation that could really drive huge amounts of waste. So I was both petrified and excited when I found this opportunity posted online where uh, World Wildlife Fund was interviewing for an intern to serve for their brand new food waste program. At the time, it was only our director and a couple interns. And I just walked in. It was a cold application. And I, I walked in and I met Pete Pearson and the rest is history. What a great way to turn that restaurant incident into a positive learning experience. I remember from my time as an MBA student, learning that concept, that negative experiences can serve to boost meaning because they stimulate comprehension. This is something I try to take with me into my professional career as an entrepreneur today. I'm curious, were there any quote-unquote negative experiences during your time at Kogod that turned out to be either a catalyst for change or maybe had benefits down the line? I did have a really challenging moment in my graduate program. I actually never stopped going to school my whole life. So I went from like kindergarten straight through grad school with no breaks. So I was feeling really burnt out by the time I ended up in grad school. And it was really uh, no fault of the professors or the cohort because it was actually a really interesting group of people and I really enjoyed the time. But as I mentioned, I really wasn't business-minded or financially-minded when I entered the program. I was much more focused on environmental systems. And then I was just starting to understand more about social systems and their intersection with environmental systems. But I was frustrated learning about triple bottom line and always having to reconcile environmental and social impact against profit and business impact. And I remember I was sitting in a in a finance class. It was our finance program class required for the MSSM with Professor Dr. Nakshbendi, who I think is a fantastic professor. And we were having a debate and I can't remember what the topic was on, but I remember I raised my hand and I said, we were speaking about the, the actions of a specific company that had been environmentally damaging. And I raised my hand and I said, but that behavior was illegal. 
And Dr. Nakshbendi said, no, it wasn't illegal. And I said, well, it was unethical. And he said, well, if it's legal, it's ethical. And I was offended immediately. <laughs> like I was upset immediately. And I think I debated him a bit then. And then I remember I went home and I was up in arms about it. I was really thinking about this comment. If it's legal, it's ethical. I was dumbfounded by, by this comment, really. I thought it was wild to say. And I wrote him an email. Um, I, I didn't end up sending it, but I wrote this long kind of angry email about how important it is for companies to act ethically and for organizations to act ethically. And I started reflecting on his words while I was writing this email, and I realized what he was sharing was extremely poignant. And it's that we cannot mandate ethics. We can only mandate policies and rules. And that doesn't mean that ethics, ethical action, moral action, um, acting in good faith aren't key to the systems that we'd like to develop. But we can't expect an organization as large as a company simply to act ethically when it's an amalgamation of people who all have different ethics, different approaches, and different priorities. Instead, we need to align our systems so companies and all organizations have the swim lanes for how we should be conducting ourselves in business, conducting ourselves in advocacy work, and really collaborating towards a shared future. Because whenever you're gunning towards any mission, whether it's environmental, social, or, or business-oriented, profit-oriented, you are always going to sacrifice benefits of one of the other three of those. So the entire challenge facing MSSM students and really others entering this conservation space now and maintaining their careers in this space is how we're able to balance and hold true each of these priorities, environmental priorities, social priorities, and business priorities all together to make impact as quickly as we can within the systems that we have. And when those systems aren't working for the impact we need to see, we need to find ways to change those systems. So that was an extremely poignant lesson that Professor Nakshbendi shared with me to help me in my work, which is largely now engaging the private sector, thinking about aligning our policy to our ethics and aligning our policy and rules to the future we'd like to see to make sure that everyone's on the same page. We're not asking anyone to read our minds. Nothing's going unspoken. So that was something really powerful for me. Wow, yeah. The field of sustainability is such a balancing act between environment, social, and business priorities. I commend you for taking this on, and it seems like your time at COGOD prepared you perfectly for a career in this field. Any other lessons from your time at COGOD that you still carry with you today? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, you know, education in this area can be really varied and broad. COGOD, similarly to my bachelor's program, was was teaching us how to think. It was teaching us the systems we were about to work in and how our expertise was going to stack on top of the other systems that we touch and the other sectors that we touch. Because conservation work and sustainability work is not something that can really ever be done in a vacuum. It's always something that's intersectional. It's always something that's working with, with other disciplines, with other experts. So where uh, my bachelor's program at AU really gave me the groundwork for the environmental 
science I needed to understand uh, when going into this field and doing influence in this field. The fact I did a studies program also gave me a base in communications and policy and business in those areas that help you actually get your point across and, and to achieve impact there. But then what Koga did was really help me get tangible about these skills. We started talking about how different natural systems intersected and what that looked like for our economies. We started learning about stakeholders. We started learning about private sector stakeholders and the role that businesses played in financing and leading and pushing new innovations in the environmental and social sustainability areas. And on the flip side, how public sector and civil society can serve as a draw, really, or a carrot for for the private sector to come along and really the public to come along as well. So COGOD gave us some of those business skills that to really make us uh, dangerous when working with these diverse stakeholders and actually kind of brought us tree huggers, us environmentalists up in a little bit more of this real life formal exploration of how change happens in our in our systems today and really kind of grounded that in in the basics of a of a business school education which was I I think I fought kicking and screaming at the time but ended up being just so valuable for finding the ways to actually make change quickly in the system we have today. I love that idea of Kogod giving a business sense to tree huggers. That's a very powerful force. So since Kogod is so unique in its sustainability program do you look to hire other Kogod alums at World Wildlife Fund? I mean, you just have to look at the WWF roster to see how permeated that the Kogod MSSM program is. From my very first day as an intern, I remember sitting down with, I believe, half a dozen other alums of the MSSM program, which was quite a small program before I entered it. So it's already an institution that is very familiar with the MSSM program and the skills, uh, the interdisciplinary skills of its graduates. And there's lots of opportunity for graduate students right now whether it's informational interviews, internships, even just less formal mentorship for capstone projects and things like that. There's lots of ways that graduate students in this area can benefit from from WWF, both in the U.S. and around the world. That's amazing to hear. So what should we expect to see with your career in the future? Do you have any personal career goals that you're still searching for? Absolutely. So my professional goal here is to work on projects of the largest impact for the environment. That is a job that is not, I know it doesn't sound straightforward, uh, but it's even less straightforward than it sounds because today we are facing really expansive and complex challenges to our natural world. And those challenges intersect so closely with communities and livelihoods. And we are both in an urgent moment, but a very important moment to move methodically and thoughtfully through the challenges we're facing and really build the future that we all want to inhabit together. So I'm not tied to one topic or one area or one function. My interest now is to really serve in whatever role I can to move us the farthest we can, the fastest we can, and as thoughtfully as we can to the future that we're all hoping to live in. Amazing. So for those looking to join you on that mission, what career advice can you provide? I would say for someone looking to get into this field, if you haven't found the corner of conservation or sustainability that feels like a fit for you, keep looking. 
there is so much work to be done. And the operators coming into this field and the operators that are already in this field do not have every skill needed to face the problems and the challenges that we are fighting today. We need people interdisciplinary. We need people that are collaborative. And we need people that are excited about solving big problems that we don't necessarily have the answer to yet. So my biggest recommendation is don't put anything on your resume you don't want to be doing full-time at the start because we really need folks to fill in the gaps, those functional gaps of our teams to make us sure that we are following the best scientific approaches, that we're following the best social approaches, behavior change approaches. Really, this isn't a field that can or a problem that can ever be addressed by by one person or one function or one set of expertise. It's all about finding the ways to collaborate really effectively and to make the most of your passions and talents. And more than anything, just stick to it. I'm grateful you're entering this field and you're bringing your talents to these types of problems and know that you are, you are wanted and you are worthy. That that is that's so interesting, and so I'm glad we have you in the position that you're at today, and you know, being able to hold companies accountable and develop these systems and incentive structures that can you know benefit all of mankind for for into the future. So it's I'm I'm happy that it's inspiring. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fun too, and one thing you have to be ready for in this field is not to be right all the time. I was one of those kids that liked to be right all of the time. And at the end, this is all about being humble. If we had the answers to our conservation challenges, we would have already solved them. So we have to stay nimble. We have to stay creative and we have to stay really curious about the systems where we're working and the things that we can achieve because it's only through innovative and new thinking that we're actually going to get to the future that we want to see. Stay curious. What a cherry on top to such an insightful conversation with Sam. It's always such a treat when a conversation packs within it so many beneficial anecdotes and life hacks. Throughout Sam's career, she had routinely turned what might have been viewed as a negative and flipped the tables, demanding positive outcomes. She was born without the ability to smell. But instead of seeing this as an impairment, she turned it into her superpower, one which allowed her to go further into her work than almost anyone around her. Maybe you have a superpower currently hiding in disguise. Maybe you even tell yourself that this said power is a negative. Well, let's all strive to be more like Sam and flip the tables on what should be. And who knows, maybe the world will benefit as a result. When discussing how to be more food waste conscious, Sam mentioned that the first step is awareness. Almost any self-help book that you pick up will probably tell you something very similar. I mean, how can you change something if you don't know that something needs to be changed? Sam has used her natural-born abilities, coupled with the knowledge she garnered from Kogod, to make real change to our planet. I, for one, feel very fortunate that I was able to speak with Sam here today, and will from now on have a heightened sense of awareness on the food waste that I'm creating. Hopefully, you were inspired as well. That's it for today's episode. Stay with us this season for many more inspiring and insightful conversations that take us even deeper into the fast-moving field of sustainability at Kogod. <laughs>